When Sophia gorges on, well, everything she can get her Sicilian paws on, her age and diet catch up to her heart. Down for the count, it looks like she might be dying, and a freak storm has made it impossible for paramedics to reach her in time. While discussing their fears about death, the girls open up about their plans when they die, once again conquering a taboo and difficult subject with ease. We start outside the front door where a storm's a Bruin. Who says a Bruin? Anyway, the ladies are escorting their dinner party guests out the front door with a wind-blown farewell. Once back in the house, we see that by some miracle, Blanche's Chinese vase has been pieced together. Or maybe it was purchased again. Maybe she reordered it. Maybe she found the pieces Sophia hid in the plants. Either way, welcome back, vase. First and foremost, let's start with the clothes. We've got some real iconic outfits going on in this episode. Sophia's royal blue dress pops with her beautiful gray hair. Blanche is in an understated lavender nightgown dress. Dorothy has on a glamorous baseball jersey, complete with puffy cream sleeves and a blue and white pinstriped bodice. While it looks like a flowy shirt, it is actually a dress with an elastic waist somewhere around the top of her knees. This thing seriously gives her a torso longer than Cousin Sven's and legs as short as Dr. Jonathan Newman's. And then there's Rose. What a stunner in a vertically striped watercolor-looking rainbow and floral extravaganza of a dress. I also love her hair and makeup here. She's rouged for the gods and she's making it work. Everyone looks lovely as they clean up from their dinner party. Where the TV sometimes is, there's now a long table covered with the remnants of snacking and gabbing. The gabbing continues even after the guests are gone. We get an oh boy from Blanche, who's now talking trash about the guest that she just had in her home. She starts to speculate on her weight being 275 pounds, which for 1985 was considered significantly overweight, as the average weight of an American woman then was 140 pounds, as opposed to today's 180. She also notes how the woman ate all night. Well, damn, Blanche, if you're going to host a party with food, maybe don't judge people for eating the food. You are the living embodiment of everyone's food anxiety right now with this talk. But she is right to complain that the woman talked with her mouthful. That's just nasty. The discussion of the spittle turns to complimenting the delicious food they served for the party, all provided by Sophia. We also learn that Blanche spent a summer in Italy once a few years back. She doesn't have much to say about the food, though. She was preoccupied with the sesso. I'll let you decipher what that means. It's sex. Blanche bringing up this story has, of course, sent her into a tizzy about Italian men. She somehow improves her cute dress by putting on an apron while losing herself in the thoughts of herself as she continues going on about how loved she was by Italian men because of her looks and age. 
Sophia joins the ladies in the kitchen, and before she can even start to help, Rose reminds her that she did all the work to provide the food so she doesn't have to clean. Sophia doesn't fight back. She takes a seat and reminds Rose why she wasn't allowed to help with the food. She didn't want any herring mixed with her mozzarella. While Sophia gives Rose's love of herring a bad time, it isn't just for the Scandinavian. Herrings were used in Viking funerals. The Hanseatic League was created in medieval times to get salt from Germany so they could pickle their herrings properly. The British and Dutch rose to power in the sea due to the herring trade. The term red herring that is commonly used in true crime, like my other show, Murder in the Rain, came from when poachers would smoke herrings to throw off the scent of a fox so the hunting dog wouldn't track it. Most of Northern Europe still eats and celebrates the herring, but we're still not convinced we'd like a Lindstrom herring surprise pie. I think I'm with Dorothy on this one. Rose then switches from secretly fishy pies to the fact that she named her cat Lindstrom. Blanche is baffled, as this would mean her cat's name was Lindstrom Lindstrom, Rose's maiden name. Somehow this was less confusing for the cat. Although I do know some people, including my friend Jocelyn, who you hear singing vocals in our theme song, and she was actually named after her mother's maiden name. Luckily, her parents have been married for more than 40 years, so it all worked out. Otherwise, that would have been really confusing. While Blanche remains baffled at the cat name, Sophia heads back to the living room, leaving the ladies to dote over her work ethic and energy. Rose then realizes Sophia said she was going to clean up because she's exactly like my own mother when it comes to the inability to just sit down and not do something for a minute, even after you just hosted a party. Realizing that Sophia said she was going to go clean, the ladies head out of the kitchen and form a parade led by Dorothy and caboosed by Blanche, making their way from the kitchen to the living room. Dorothy has already started her, now listen here, Ma, but before she can finish, Sophia is slowly sitting down into the couch, holding her chest and giving us her own, oh boy. Immediately, the girls know something is wrong. Dorothy asks what's going on, and Sophia explains she's got a bubble. I've had those where you swallow wrong or you eat too much and you feel like there's a bubble in your chest. Then, of course, you think, this is it. This bubble will explode, and that will be the end of me. I knew I should have worked out more. Sophia and Dorothy get into the semantics of the bubble in the chest, Dorothy wanting more clarity as she's worried about her mom, Sophia being annoyed because, well, someone's worried about her. Blanche is of no help as she only claims to know what a bobble is while pointing to her finger. Her accent is a little strong here. If she said bobble, she means a ring that doesn't have a plain band, rather multiple little balls that make up the band, sometimes topped with a round stone. But she most likely said bobble, which is a nice word for cheap, trinkety costume jewelry. Rose hops in to side with Sophia. Even when receiving support, Sophia is salty. Of course, Rose knows what a bubble is. She has one in her head. Rose is unflinching to Sophia's response and goes to describe the feeling in more detail, that it's a bubble that's just stuck, but it can go away with a big belch. It takes her a while to get the B word out because, as we learned earlier in the season, Rose can be a bit of a prude. Sophia agrees and wishes she could get the burp out. When told she looks unwell, she points out she's short and old. She's not Princess Diana, who at the time had been in the spotlight, married to Prince Charles, for four years. That line wasn't wrong either, as Estelle Getty was a whopping 11 inches shorter than Princess Diana. Dorothy is unconvinced and decides to call a doctor for a house call. Luckily, it's a new doctor, as Dr. Clayton is out of the picture. 
Rose loved her old doctor back home, who, of course, was also the vet. It's funny how Rose talks about her mom here. She says she asked the doctor to do her hysterectomy, but after meeting Alma last week, that seems out of character for her. Like, Rose is the dumb blonde, not the whole family? Dorothy points out that while the hysterectomy, which is the removal of the uterus, wasn't done by the vet, a lobotomy, a procedure to sever portions of the brain, clearly was done to Rose. Sophia's pain intensifies and she lays down on the couch. Now it's gone from being just a bubble to pain and Sophia is scared. She's convinced it's a heart attack. She says that because she's 80 years old and has Pavarotti on her chest that it must be a heart attack. She's referring to the world-renowned opera singer Luciano Pavarotti, who was 50 at the time this episode aired. He was not only known around the world for his singing prowess, but also for his size, fluctuating between 275 and 350 pounds. Blanche comes back from calling the doctor, who wasn't available, so she called an ambulance. Sophia, now fearful she could be dying, starts to ask Dorothy about the family's medical history, which, especially for women, we should know the heart histories in our families. Sophia starts with Uncle Mario and his cause of death. He dropped a gun, and it went off, shooting him in the forehead. This is, no joke, and you don't know this, this is how my great-grandfather died. Sad bugle for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, the same grandma who had had congestive heart failure after doing it, she lost her dad to a faulty trigger on a shotgun. He had leaned it on a fence down in Texas back in 18-something, and he went walking back over to it, and it fell down from leaning on the fence, and it went off, killing him. Rips. As Sophia and Dorothy continue through the family tree, they get to Aunt Teresa and Uncle Nuzio, who died, well, because they basically hated each other, it sounds like. Sophia's mother succumbed to old age while her father was thrown from a donkey, so she's really on her own when it comes to predicting how she'll go. Rose gets all existential on us, proclaiming that there shouldn't be any death or fear surrounding it. We should all just know to turn ourselves in when it's time, like a library book. But when you borrow a library book, it's only for three weeks, so hopefully she's not referring to the length, just the procedure. Would you rather know when you're going to die or how you're going to die? Wow, that is a tough question. Right. think on that for a second. I think that I'd rather know when than how. I think if I knew, well, if I knew, oh my God. But what if it's like you die skydiving, then it's like, okay, I'll never skydive, but then it changes. Mm-hmm. So then you have no idea. I think I would go with when as well, because then you could plan accordingly. If someone said in three weeks, I'd be like, then I better get out there. And do what? Live my life. Doing what? Everything. Traveling. Well. Mm. (sighs) (laughs) Blanche, of course, would struggle to know what to bring with her, which would all rely on if there are dry cleaners on the other side. Rose reasons that, of course, there are dry cleaners have died. Hopefully we aren't all just stuck doing the jobs we had here on Earth when we die and go to whatever the other realm is. Do you get to pick which job? That's you what do I'm saying. If you let's say you worked at a dry cleaning establishment and then you died and you go to heaven and they're like, You're a dry cleaner. But no, I just started working there. It was a temporary job. It's like dying naked. Yes. Or in your wedding dress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be seeing it a lot. <laughs> yeah. That would suck. You know what? That's a very interesting thought. 
consider that everyone when you take jobs and follow your you know whether or not you follow your dreams because you might be doing it up or they over there or whatever or down it is. there wherever you go wow that's really kind of profound thank you i'm a little stoned As the girls continue their death talk, Dorothy hurriedly approaches them to remind them that she is worried about her mother that could be potentially dying, and they need to cut it with the when-we-die convo. Blanche takes some of the party remains into the kitchen and has Rose join her so Sophia and Dorothy can have some time together. Dorothy tries to convince Sophia to just rest and not worry, but Sophia is worried about tying up her loose ends. She starts to tell Dorothy where keys are, who not to invite to her funeral, and that Dorothy was always her favorite. We get a beautifully open moment here as Sophia acknowledges that she isn't an affectionate person, and that might have led Dorothy to think that she wasn't as loved as she really is. That's because Sophia's love language is definitely acts of service. Let me make you a meal or meet up with a friend in need. Just don't ask her for a hug. It's been 30 years since Sal, Sophia's husband, and Dorothy's father passed away. When speaking of him, Sophia sounds the most at peace, although she didn't get time to primp before death came knocking to her door. We're back to the kitchen with Rose and Blanche, who are cleaning up, but really just trying to keep themselves busy through the crisis. Rose is optimistic that perhaps it isn't a heart attack. Her family members, although Nordic and kind of preserved by the cold in Blanche's eyes, lived very long lives. As Blanche educates Rose about the perks of living in a cold climate, you wonder, well, then why does she, the queen of age and looks obsession, live in a tropical climate? Well, that's because the only eligible men in the North are farmers. No offense, farmers. From Blanche. (laughs) It's kind of surprising that she wouldn't be into farmers. Why? Well, yeah, she grew up in the South. I'm sure there was some sort of kind of rural, at least. She does not seem to have a a type. No. Right? Just no. Just someone who is fun, respects her, and is down f- for freaky stuff. F- to get freaky. Yeah. So you would think maybe it's a like she thinks, oh, they're just poor, like farmer poor, but she's not always driven by money. Yeah. Oh, does she come it's, from money? Um. So I mean, be... like, yeah, they have. I mean, her relatives were probably, Definitely. you know. Plantation owners. That's very elitist. And uh, any Blanche fans out there to make up for that? F- a farmer. <laughs> this episode brought to you by FarmersOnly.com. Mm-hmm. We go back to the couch to catch Sophia now joining in on the existentialism. Not fearful or chaotic, she's coming to terms with the idea of dying, wishing she had had more time but not being angry or sad about it, that even at 80, she feels surprised. Sophia points out that even though all she had planned for the next day was cleaning out her closets, she still wishes she could have that day. Dorothy keeps a smile and optimistic view while resting her hand on her mother's knee. Per usual, no one is panicked or over the top. They are being faced with an unexpected reality, and they are treating it as that. Reality. Back again to the kitchen to find the girls are talking about what they want done to their bodies when they die. Rose can't decide between the horrible heat of cremation and the claustrophobia of burial when Blanche reminds her that she'll be dead and won't know the difference. Which brings a look of total surprise across Rose's face. Like, she had never actually considered the options as a dead person. With that new tidbit of information, the fact that she'll be dead when she's buried or cremated, Rose settles on being buried. But only if she can have a blanket with her for comfort and warmth. 
And, of course, the pictures of her children. And, of course, the picture of Charlie. And the candlesticks her mom gave her. Basically, a very boring Viking funeral. Coco. Hi. What are your end-of-life plans? I definitely don't want to be buried in a coffin in a, in a cemetery uh, or have, like, a church service or anything like that. And I, I, I feel like we've you and I have talked several times about alternative methods of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm fine with cremation, though I, don't, I know that's kind of a polluting thing. And I know that – I think you told me there's one place yeah, in America. Yeah, aqu- aqua cremation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm into that. Which is new. I think there's one in – Texas and one in Washington and Oregon might be getting one soon. That's great. Where instead of the fire and the fumes and, like you said, the pollution, all that stuff that goes in the air is super toxic. They use water and they break you down. You actually get more of your body back, you know, because you lose so much in the fire. You actually get more of you back. So if that matters to your family. And it's also, like, not chunky. If you've ever looked at ashes, they can have, like, chunks of bones and things like that. This is truly, like an ash, a powder, and it's clean, and it's all done with water and pressure, and it's super cool. Yeah. That or the natural burial mm-hmm. where they just put you in a bag and put you in a hole. Or they, and it's and so they plant pretty. plant a tree over you, whatever. Anything like that, I'm into. Anything else, I am not. <laughs> and also, my, my, my real plan for death is to uh, not. <laughs> to never do it. Yes. Thank you. I hope. My end of life plan is to not have one. No, I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm, I, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I don't want to die. Right. <laughs> there have been periods where that has changed. You know, that has not always been the case. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, I really want to be alive, and I hope that goes on for a really long time. Yeah. But if we don't die, it doesn't mean anything. Whoa. Right. If we don't die, it doesn't mean anything. Our lives don't have any meaning if it doesn't end, you know? There's no point. There's no nothing to be gained. Oh, if you're just around forever and constantly consuming and yeah. existing but not if you're always there. doing anything with it? Yeah. Wow, you're very profound today. Thanks. I'm a little stoned. I guess I should be more specific about my end-of-life plans in case something happens and people have to decide what to do so natural burial there you go it's settled yes yeah, some sort of natural burial and maybe i can feed a tree For or me as well. yeah. some worms i don't know blanche of course wants nothing but the most for when she dies a parade a riderless horse which is a distinction saved only for those in the army or marines that received the status of colonel or higher This honor also goes to the president, hence why she's probably fond of it, as there was a riderless horse at John F. Kennedy's funeral, since the president is the highest-ranking military officer. That pesky not-being-a-public-official is also why she won't be laid in state, which is when the body of a deceased public official, and sometimes figure, is laid to rest so people can view it. We're pretty sick, huh? She's also going to get a no from Arlington National Cemetery in Virginia. While Blanche wishes to be buried there, she won't be. It's reserved for those who die in combat, military veterans, and some families of those veterans. You can't just go because you want to lie around with a bunch of men in uniform. You know who could have been buried at Arlington National Cemetery? B. Arthur. Enlisting at 21 years old in 1943, Bernice Frankel, B's pre-fame name, became one of the very first members of the Women's Reserve. During her time in the military, she drove military trucks and was a typist. She was stationed at the Marine and Navy Air Stations in Virginia and North Carolina. She was even promoted from corporal to sergeant, then staff sergeant. 
I never understand military rankings, but those, especially for a woman in the 40s, are a big deal. She was honorably discharged in September of 1945 and got married to fellow Marine Robert Arthur, but divorced only three years later. Luckily, she kept the Arthur. It should come as no surprise that during interviews with higher-ups during her stint with the military, notes were made in her file that sound a lot like notes I've received from work. She was, quote, argumentative, and her attitude and manner was over-aggressive. She was also officious, but probably a good worker if she gets her way. I relate to that on a very deep level. Instead of being buried in Arlington, after B died in 2009, she was cremated and her ashes are with her family. So, sorry Blanche, Dorothy is getting all of your fanfare. We're back to the couch as the ladies are returning from the kitchen. It sounds like we're joining Sophia as she's going through her life's regrets. We hear her talk about how she always wanted to try acting. It seems so simple and almost silly, but she wanted to try it, and for whatever reason, she held herself back. Rose tries to check in with Sophia, but she's, oh my god, she's, oh, she's resting her eyes. It's in this moment we see just how scared Dorothy is. As soon as her mother takes just a moment to respond, her voice is louder and higher. She's standing up while also holding Sophia's leg. The fear is just below the surface. Sophia is fine, but wants to get back to the list of things to talk about before death. The important things, like saying you love someone. Sophia's voice starts to crack as Dorothy's gets lower, making the moment even more somber. Sophia summons Rose and Blanche, or Heckle and Jekyll as she called them, This is a reference to a cartoon created in 1946. They were a pair of identical magpie birds that looked similar to the crows at the end of Dumbo. They were known as obnoxious pests that were also wisecrackers, you see? In all, there were 52 cartoon shorts of Heckle and Jekyll in their 20 years on the air. It's a dilly. Scoodly-doo, Heckle and Jekyll. That's our name. Scoodly-doo, Heckle and Jekyll. We look the same. Scoodly-doo, the impossible. That's our game. Quite so. Tally-ho. Let's go. The ladies surround Sophia as she thanks them for having allowed her to live with them and to live in a way that didn't make her feel like a burden. It's been about eight minutes since the paramedics were called and they still haven't arrived. Dorothy is clearly distraught. While I couldn't find any information about response times in 85, I did stumble upon a 2018 report that found people in low-income neighborhoods that called an ambulance for a heart attack were likely to have 10% longer response times than higher-income neighborhoods. Rose uses her experience with Charlie, who did die of a heart attack, to comfort Dorothy. While Sophia is lying comfortably, Rose points out that heart attacks can be bigger and uglier. That after she and Charlie had been intimate and he started to experience the symptoms of a heart attack, she had to put his clothes on him because he was embarrassed the paramedics would see him naked. This was the first time Rose shared with Dorothy that Charlie had his heart attack while they were having sex. It's kind of funny and even funnier that it's Betty White delivering the story, but without the awkward chuckles of the audience, it's a heartbreakingly sad story. And not just because she wanted to put white pants on Charlie after Labor Day. According to Marie Claire, that rule came into fashion in the 1800s. The old money ladies were trying to keep the new money ladies out of their cool kids club. So as a mean girl move, they made this rule. That way, if they saw someone wearing white after Labor Day, they would stick out like a sore thumb. Another reason it existed? If it was summer, you might be traveling or spending time at the beach or wearing lighter clothes, so you'd wear linens and other light fabrics that were usually white. 
Then summer would end and you'd throw on a sweater or pants and they were usually heavier and darker. This is a stupid rule and it should, nay, I, Marie, declare it no longer exists. You better believe I'll be wearing some white on the Golden Girls cruise in January and I hope to see you there. Get your tickets now. This is a beautiful moment for Dorothy and Rose. They are both emotional for different reasons. Betty gives a beautiful performance showing her strength not only through her words, but her actions in the story she's telling. Her husband was dying and saying his final goodbyes and love yous, and to honor his request and who he was as a person, she continued dressing him. That strength continues as she keeps it together and tells the heartbreaking story. Blanche comes in from the kitchen to share she just learned why the paramedics are delayed, that the storm that came through has taken down some trees and the roads are just too dangerous. The girls try to problem solve, and in a rare moment of Dorothy's emotions taking over, she decides they should brave the storm to get Sophia to the hospital that is 20 minutes away in Miami? But there are so many elderly! Luckily, there are now dozens of hospitals and medical centers in the Dade County area, so hopefully that drive time is a lot less now. It is Blanche who comes through with the dose of reality this time. If the professional emergency service drivers can't drive in these conditions, why would they be able to? The girls realize Blanche is right and decide they only have one option, to wait for help and pray at Sophia's side. Welcome back from the break. We're joining the ladies in the living room where all three have looked over to see if Sophia is looking under alive. They slowly creep up into her space, Dorothy clearly forgetting her commonly mentioned and sometimes used hold under Ma's nose to see if she's alive mirror. As they need to get closer and closer to check her vitals, she awakes to find Dorothy coming out her face from her feet, Blanche to her right side, and Rose coming from above her head. If she wasn't suffering from a heart attack before, her suddenly awaking to find the women mere inches from her face nearly gives her one. Everyone screams and flings away. Sophia jokes that they were so close she thought their facial pores were craters on the moon before sharing that she wasn't napping. She had died and gone to heaven. Dorothy makes the obvious statement that she didn't die, but Sophia won't give in. She saw the gates, the clouds, and even her sow. And he was surrounded by women, so clearly he was in heaven. This moment shows just how much pain Sophia is in. She can't even muster the energy to curse him for not waiting until she was there. Rose, who isn't the most religious, asks about Jesus and God. Sophia very quickly and seemingly earnestly says they were busy. It isn't a quip or a burn on Rose, which you would expect. Now things really are looking serious. Caught up in the crisis and not realizing her mom's nap time, food-driven heaven dream was just that, a dream, Dorothy begs Sophia not to go when she says how nice it was and she wants to go back. Dorothy begs her to stay while Blanche gets caught up on whether there are men in heaven. Before she can answer, Sophia asks Dorothy to fetch her her rosary. Blanche begs the question once more, with Rose feeling she's being a bit insensitive. But Blanche points out, hey, you asked about God and Jesus— I'm just curious about different men. Rose offers to get Sophia tea. She must be feeling better because she's able to muster a, I'm not in England, I'm having a heart attack. Why are Britons known for their tea drinking ways? Well, it's all thanks to King Charles II's wife, Princess Catherine of Branganza. Yeah, we'll go with that. 
When tea was taken to England in the mid-1600s, she started drinking it regularly. Not one to fall in keeping up with the Joneses, all the other pinkies-up folks joined in and made it a thing. Now there are daily tea times, which is like a little snack between lunch and dinner, which occurs daily between 3.30 and 5 p.m. Blanche asks Rose to stay with Sophia while she goes to see what Dorothy's up to. Leaving Rose alone with a potentially dying person maybe wasn't the best idea. She begins to twaddle on about how she always imagined different heavens for different religions. This gives us an oh boy in that the first religions, Catholic and Protestant, had things kind of pertaining to their religion, nuns, priests, and their environment, cows and horses. But then she gets to Jewish heaven, which would be home to libraries and furriers. Those are just plain stereotypes, Rose. Sophia begs her to stop as her time is running out. As Rose actively asks Sophia to not close her eyes, she begins to, and Rose gets a distraught look on her face. We join Blanche in Sophia's room, where Dorothy is frantically and scatteringly searching for Sophia's rosary. Dorothy starts to open up about her fears of her mother dying. But before we get to that, let's look at Sophia's room, since the only other time we've been in it was on Golden Girls. The episode. Not the show. The episode of the show. It was on Golden Girls, which was on Golden Girls. Anyway, her room is much smaller than the other gals, but don't worry. She, too, not only has her bed, a dresser, a nightstand, and decorative plants, it also has two lounge chairs, a side table, a vanity with a huge chair of its own, and a secretary's desk tucked in the corner. Blanche reassures her friend that her mom will be okay. Holy crap, is that another side table? Dorothy knows Sophia is a tough old lady, but it's the old part that scares her. Then she gives a line that I think has hit home with anyone who has heard it. When sharing her fears with Blanche, she says something along the lines of, If she dies, I'll be an orphan. I'm over 50 and still scared of being an orphan, and that no matter how old you are, when you lose a parent, you're still their child. And of course, the ultimate immortality, when the generation before you goes, you're next. Coco... You and I have talked about this a lot, that the idea of our parents' mortality has been something we've carried anxiety about since the moment we've learned of it. Have you ever had a time that you thought you were losing one of your parents? Sorry to be heavy. My mom went through chemo. Had to, I came from from Oregon, flew down there for her or to be with her, which was the first time I'd ever seen her like that. And she, you know, oh, right. I, I saw her in, the, in a hospital bed for the first time and she's a small lady but she looked extra small and, you know, her skin looked gray because she had her oxygen levels. Oh, that's what it was. It was her oxygen levels had dropped in her blood. So she she wasn't she wasn't. Oh, you know. so that was like in response to the treatment. I think so. Stuff? Something. Yeah, it was oh. like her body was just weakened. And so she yeah, so she ended up there. And I mean, so that was it was very difficult to to. Yeah, to even for me to even remember that because it was so hard for me to experience mm -hmm. just to see her like that. Um but yeah, so it's something I thought about my whole life, and I'm I I don't know because I I think you and I have a similar closeness with our parents. Yeah, and I can't imagine, I just can't. Yeah, I remember being I think um, I was maybe around four yeah. when I first really had that concept of death, and then I was able to connect it to my parents. And for like you said, we've talked about this yeah. a lot. Nightly, it was, and I think this is common for you know a lot of people that nightly fear you're a little kid and it's like that could happen to them when am i going to be alone you know all of those fears yeah. coming in but well i'm glad your mom's okay Thank Glad you. both your parents are okay and yours as well i know i feel we're very um, lucky we're reaching an age where 
We have friends losing parents. I mean, that yeah. obviously can happen at any age, but uh, I it's feel like we're happening. approaching that. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, it's scary, but it, it it's is. good to talk about because you don't want to just hold it in. Yeah, death is real, and it's it's not going to not happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and we have that bond over our moms because my mom also had breast cancer uh, three years ago now. I luckily caught super early, but anytime anyone goes under, it scares me. Yeah. Um, I always think about Kanye West's mom just went under to get her neck tucked and that was it. And you're talking the top doctors, top money, top everything. So anytime anyone goes under, it's scary. And then my dad, I wouldn't get into. He's he's had heart issues, open heart surgery, car accidents. I can't tell you how many times I thought we were going to lose him. He's he's a tough cookie. So, uh, you know, we're. We're just very lucky to not only have the relationships we have with our parents, but to still have our parents. And I constantly, to anyone listening that has lost a parent or a parent type figure, I think of you often, not specifically, but I I had my best friend lost his dad just uh, mere days ago. And I'm not sure how he's going to get through it, but we're going to be in it together and uh, I know that that's a grief you carry for always. So, you know, it, go easy on yourself and be kind to yourself and don't think, oh, it's been a certain amount of time. I should be over it. You lose a parent, like Dorothy said, you lose your parent, you're a kid again. So Absolutely. Yeah. Oof. Nice and lighthearted. Blanche doesn't try to discount Dorothy's feelings or quell her fear. She simply sits on the edge of the bed and agrees with her. When Dorothy starts to cry, Blanche runs to hug her and reminds her that they're all family. In a moment that should have received uproarious laughter from the audience, but probably didn't because the episode is so serious, we cut back to the living room to find that Rose has joined Sophia on the couch, each resting their head on opposite ends. Not only is she laying with Sophia, she's twaddling on about St. Olaf farm nonsense as Sophia begs her to be quiet. Sophia asks Rose to leave her alone so she can make peace with the world before she dies. As Rose apologizes and gives her space, Dorothy and Blanche are back with the rosary that they found and a can of peanut brittle, as Sophia would say. The doorbell rings and the doctor is in. Dr. Harris, also known in real life as Ronald Hunter. He was an actor with 47 credits to his name. He got his start on The Sentinel and went on to hit the 80s TV circuit hard. Cagney and Lacey, Magnum P.I., Heart to Heart, Knott's Landing, and of course, Law and Order. Dr. Harris runs in and immediately goes to Sophia's side. He asks her what's up, and she's like, my chest hurts. As he pulls out his stethoscope, she stays in Italian grandmother party host mode and offers him something to snack on. Desperate to feed the doctor, hello love language, he politely declines, stating he had crepla at his mom's house. Similar to Italian ravioli, crepla is a Jewish dumpling usually filled with potatoes or meat. Sophia knew the dish was Jewish, so she concurred Dr. Harris was. When asking why so many doctors are Jewish, Dr. Harris gives a, because their mothers are. I love that line. (laughs) While that is a stereotype, the Jewish parent wanting their child to be a doctor, a recent survey in Jewish News showed that of 18 career options, in first place was medicine, followed by high tech and then engineering, which, if I had to guess for any set of parents, those kind of jobs would probably all be at the top of the list. 
With Dr. Harris's joke about his mother getting the biggest laugh of the episode, it almost feels like it's because the topic has been so serious and the girls were the only ones in the episode. So it kind of takes an outsider to crack a joke and shows that it's okay to laugh. As the laughter continues, Dr. Harris squeezes Sophia's sides, to which she reacts in pain. This causes the doctor to ask what Sophia had been eating. Her little of this and a little of that is actually a lot of this and a lot of that. She had started out by snacking on scongili, which is Italian for conch, which, yes, it is a dish of sea snails, followed by sausage and peppers, some fettuccine alfredo, fried mozzarella, cannoli, which is meat and cheese stuffed shells topped with marinara, mushroom with gorgonzola, and to top it off, two boxes of milk duds. Maybe if Blanche had been paying more attention to what Sophia was eating instead of her guest, we wouldn't be in this situation. Once again, Sophia's love of eating, as voracious as her love of porn, has gotten her into trouble. It's her gallbladder. She most likely has gallstones that are now creating havoc in her gallbladder. Or maybe she just needs to fart. Which reminds me of a story. Sorry in advance to my little brother, who was around three at the time. He and I have a nine-year age difference, so he was just a toddler while I was a preteen. One day, he started screaming in agony. Something was happening internally, and it was serious. He was crying out in pain, and nothing was helping. My parents, worried it could be his appendix or even something worse, rushed him to the hospital. They got him in, and the doctor arrived. Just as in the episode, the doctor started poking around. And then, a huge fart. Massive. He just ripped it. And then he was fine. That's all it was. He had a gas bubble, and he was such a literal baby about it, my parents took him in for an emergency fart. You're welcome, brother. (laughs) Dr. Harris warns that Sophia has got to eat better. That's all it is. Gallbladder from the overeating. Rose comes out with some mushrooms stuffed with gorgonzola. This moment has always struck me as a little weird because Rose is painted as extra stupid or hard of hearing. She hands the doctor the mushrooms and is standing right there as he refuses them and Sophia begs. Then Rose walks away from them talking to ask Blanche if it's rude the doctor is eating while Sophia is having a heart attack. I get that she didn't hear that it was her gallbladder, but she did hear him try to refuse. So it's just kind of like, what? Blanche fills her in that it isn't a heart attack, and before the doctor can finish the plate, Sophia is suddenly much better and is interested in the mushrooms. Dr. Harris leaves to get the EKG machine to make sure Sophia didn't have a heart attack. The electrocardiogram, or EKG, will allow the doctor to read the electric signals from her heart. Then, if they are not right, he'll know that there was something more. Rose goes to throw the food away while Dorothy tells Blanche they need to call off the paramedics. While most people know the basic signs of a heart attack, like pain in the chest, shortness of breath, there are signs that are different between men and women and other signs that you might not expect. Women tend to experience heart attacks later in life, about 10 years later than men. They're also more likely to die in the weeks following a heart attack. Some other symptoms include, but are not limited to, feeling extreme fatigue, which can last for days. This is more common in women. Fainting or feeling lightheaded, this can include feeling dizzy, weak, or anxious. Pain in your upper body, while the shooting pain down the left arm is what most people know, it isn't a sure sign, nor does it always occur. So knowing your body and listening to it when there's an unusual pain is key. 
Feeling nauseous in addition to these symptoms might indicate a heart issue along with excessive sweating. And the pain and tightness in the chest that goes on for more than a few minutes and tightness of breath can happen with or without chest pain. And talk to your doctor about using aspirin in case of a heart attack. Heart attacks occur every 42 seconds in the United States, and they kill five times more people than breast cancer. So know the symptoms and have a plan. Having not learned her lesson from Dr. Grabhands from the Triangle episode, Blanche inquires if the doctor is single. Dorothy breaks it to her. He's happily married. Dorothy joins Sophia on the couch. Sophia, who mere minutes ago was saying her goodbyes, is now sitting up and folding her blanket as if she just took an afternoon nap. Talk about dramatic. Sophia opens up to Dorothy that the fear of thinking she was dying has somehow, with the news of being okay, made her feel even more alive. Sophia apologizes for the ordeal and follows up by forgetting that she told Dorothy she was her favorite child. Not one to be sentimental, Sophia denies the whole thing, then also blames it on the fact that she thought she was dying. Later that night, Rose, Dorothy, and Blanche are sitting around the dinette with some tea as they talk about the stress of the evening and how contemplative they've been feeling coming out of it. Blanche saying, sure makes you think, to which Dorothy responds, sure does. And with a perfectly timed comedic pause, Rose chimes in with a, about what? Setting Dorothy up for a perfect Rose burn of, about our policy in Guatemala. Since this isn't an international policies podcast, I will leave it at Dorothy's right. People in 85 probably were thinking about our policy in Guatemala. We've overthrown a president. They've had civil war for decades. It's a real mess and too much of a quagmire to get into here. We'll just say Dorothy was very topical. Dorothy gets back to the point. They're all sitting around thinking about death. Blanche doesn't concern herself with her own death. She's ready for a funeral as an excuse to wear a stunning new dress. Dorothy is once again preaching my language, that if you really stop and fully accept that you are going to die someday, why worry about the little stuff? If I could get hit by a bus tomorrow, why waste any of my precious time not eating chocolate cake? Blanche is able to rationalize it as being necessary to eat the chocolate cake Dorothy has informed her of being in the fridge. Leftover from the party or a hoarded treat? I'm going with an accidental overpurchase as there was an identical chocolate cake on the table left over from the party, but it was about 75% gone. Rose makes an also valid point that, sure, we could eat whatever we want because we only live once, but if you take care of yourself, you could live longer. Ah, the debacle. Watercress must have been a hot item in the writer's room because here we are right after Dirk's dinner order from last week to Dorothy telling the story of a friend of a friend who went to Paris, only ate watercress because of her diet, walked outside, and a gargoyle fell down and killed her. Very final destination. As the girls joke about being the size of a horse, Blanche takes pause looking over the chocolate cake and ice cream before her, noting that this simple treat will make her undies cut off her circulation. The ladies can't decide how they want to live, so Blanche throws out the idea of going for a walk. Before COVID, I would have ladies' night once a week for something like 10 years. Whoever could make it to the designated person's house that week was invited. We would go to a store to get our own dinners, come back and catch up while watching trash TV. For a long stretch, because of life and babies and location, my friend Jamie and I were the only participants. Sure, we could put down a whole pizza without issue. Oh, to be 27 again. But we wanted to do something good for ourselves. Now, this was also before DVR. I know. I don't know how we survived. 
So we made a rule. If we were going to be talking about the loser guys we were dating, who were clearly only doing us a disservice, we could only do it if we were doing something good for ourselves, like jumping jacks or sit-ups. It felt so good to be talking the junk out while also working it out. Taking care of ourselves to realize our worth while ridding our minds of the toxins those boys were bringing our way. So in the same spirit, the ladies, still in their dresses and now much later at night, set out for an evening stroll. Hopefully B put some shoes on first as we get another shot of her scandalously bare feet. And what's that you say, Coco? There's a storm of Bruin. <laughs> there's, there's a huge storm of Bruin. They should not be going out, especially shoeless. <laughs> it is a blowin'. Let's do the math. They sent their dinner party guests home and it's dark. So let's say it's Nine. 7 p.m. Oh. I mean, oh, they're old. They're old. But it's Miami. Mm, okay, we'll say 8. Boom. It's 8 p.m. If it's in real time, now it's like 8.30. We'll say maybe 9 o'clock. And then it's later. Sophia's gone to bed, it looks like. They've already made tea. They're sitting around like, oh, decompressing. 10, 11. Yeah. And I did not catch this the first time. Well, not the first time I watched it, but watching it to write this episode, that while Dorothy is talking... And they're discussing going for a walk in the window in the kitchen. The storm that has made it impossible for paramedics to drive is still happening. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Jurassic Park level <laughs> frond work. It's going, man. I'm a frond artist. Thank you. They could have really, especially for how heavy this episode is, they really could have gotten one more funny moment in. Show them going to the door. Yeah. And then opening it and remembering that there's a storm and then being like, so how about that chocolate cake? Exactly. Like just showing who cares at this point. We're just getting through this crisis we had. But yeah, I did not notice that there is still quite a storm a brewing. Yeah, I wonder what the choice is there. I wonder, I guess, I mean, they're filming it. They didn't think that. That's weird. They didn't think that. Yeah, because like, they still have the wind going, the wind machine. And like you said, palms going all over the it's place. It's midnight. Yeah, it's very Maybe late. that's just what they do. An 11 o'clock at night, barefoot, fully dressed nicely, walk in a storm. And it's think, just not a good idea. I think, too, that if that, was, if that was my mom, I probably wouldn't want to leave that, leave and go for a walk. Yeah. I'd probably just stick around. Yeah. You know? And be so tired. That, too. I mean, yeah, whenever there's any slight uh, emotional thing that happens now, I'm just wiped out for the day. Yes. I mean, the day is done. Yes. Yeah. Start me off with something sad. <laughs> I'm, I'm done so today, because you had to start with this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Are they going super extreme? Like now we're adrenaline storm Ooh. chasers. Yeah. Like maybe let's you go have, for a walk. Let's you have live to keep life. Living, even though there's a storm happening. Oh, there you go. Being so profound again. Thank you. I'm, I mean, I'm like a little bit stoned. So. Do you know what B. Arthur and Estelle Getty's relationship was like in life? Where they, because their their performances, and always when I, when when Sophia calls Dorothy Pussycat, mm -hmm. it just like it just warms my heart. It's the sweetest thing. Um, did, were they close? I think they were. I have to admit, I've not fully dived into their relationship. I do know that B was definitely, uh, she was a loner, a rebel. She liked to do things on her own. So the girls would all go to lunch together and she wouldn't go. So I don't know if it was like her military background. You know, she's in the Marines. That's hardcore. You don't like. Just they, having to survive in the Marines in the In 40s. World War II. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure where that came from, but she was just kind of 
I show up and this is my job and that's that. Her and Rue were close because they'd worked on Maude and other things. So it was almost like, and you kind of see that in the characters that Blanche can sometimes sweeten Dorothy's saltiness. And that feels like real life. That B might say something to Betty in real life and then Rue could pop in and be like, oh, don't listen to that nonsense. So she was kind of the protector in between. But yeah, there's not really much that I've seen about Dorothy and Estelle. I'm curious. It's just, but, it just seems very genuine to me. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And and it's also lovely that Sophia is tiny and Dorothy is very tall. Yes. That's just the, the best. Yes. Oh, we've got an episode coming up that you're going to love. Oh, yay. Plays, it plays on the height difference. Just like Alma last week, it's these old ladies reminding us to live our lives to the fullest so we aren't on the couch listing our regrets. No one wants to talk about death, but it's one of the most important conversations you could have. Talk to the people in your life about your end-of-life plans. Even if you're young, you never know when a gargoyle might fall on your head. And the last thing you want is your family arguing about if you wanted to be buried or cremated. Talk about if you want to be resuscitated should you end up on life support. It doesn't have to be a gloomy conversation, just informative and clear, so when you pass, your loved ones can mourn you and not wonder if you wanted to be lying in state. To make it easier, bring a chocolate cake. There are some beautiful, lifelong lessons in today's episode. Be present, live life to the fullest, take that acting class, and the closets can always wait until tomorrow. As always, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for being a friend. Have you ever wished your ears could be adorned with the Golden Girls? Of course you have. So that's why you should check out Crime Dr. Crafts at Etsy. She makes the most adorable earrings, including sets of each of our girls. In addition to the ladies, you can find characters from Law & Order, The Office, and even send in for a custom order. So visit etsy.com slash shop slash crime Dr. Crafts, that's doctor spelled out, and make your lobes golden. Is that like Club Sesso here? <gasps> it's Italian for sex. We do have a Club Sesso. Mm-hmm. And it's a sex club, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. We did it. Wow. We, we are detectives. Yeah. I'll tell you if it's not is how this works. Goodness gracious. Mr. Producer Man. That's right. I'll let you know. I don't like to be turned on. I like to be turned down. This thing seriously gives her a torser. Torser. Just uh, take your foot off the accelerator just okay. for a second, man. We got all day. I know. I the, really feel like I do. It's beautiful, and we're cruising down the highway. And you're just telling me a story about Golden Girls. Okay. Alicia and Coco holding hands <laughs> on the Pacific Coast Highway. Okay. I love you. <laughs> Leaving the ladies to dote over her. Her. Hopefully. Hurtfully. <laughs> so do what you love. That's great. Or burn in hell. <laughs> you look around, you know, I pass cemeteries sometimes. I'm like, that is so much land. Just flat. Not, not to say build a condo there, but that could have been a park or trees or something besides or some just. gorgeous condos that we <laughs> can really, buy. Or like a parking oh. lot. <laughs> Blanche, Blanche, Blanche. My ride's here. <laughs> and that's why you do the show for the people who don't know about these magpies. Rose, who isn't the most religious, ask about the uh, 
Rose, who isn't the most religious, uh, religious. Rose, who isn't the most religious, acts a, oh my God. She started drinking it regularly. <laughs> I have no comment. Other than that is shameful. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.